Hello, and welcome to HR Unplugged, episode 39, using data to influence change, communicating difficult HR topics to leadership. Reporting HR impact to the leadership team can be daunting. Building reports, telling the right story, and presenting the data is a big task. In this episode of HR Unplugged, Anita Grantham and Vanessa Rulat go deeper than other episodes to share how HR leaders can present HR initiatives and metrics to leadership, figure out which reports align with business goals for sharing data, and get tips on how to be a better data storyteller. Thank you for tuning in today. Today's episode is brought to you by Bamboo HR, the complete HR software. Simplify HR with award-winning solutions for everything from hire to retire with Bamboo HR. Hi friends, Bamboo HR here. People ask me all the time, why is it so easy to switch to Bamboo HR? And I tell them the same thing every time. Aw, thank you, you're too kind. Now it's my turn to compliment you. <laughs> but I also say it's easy switching to Bamboo HR because I'm so user-friendly. Employees, managers, admins, they all love me. See for yourself now and start a free trial at BambooHR.com. That's BambooHR.com. We have an exciting guest today for our episode of HR Unplugged. I'd like to welcome Will Clive, Chief People Officer at Pluralsight. Welcome, Will. We are so excited you're here today and can't wait to hear your insights on this topic. Tell us a little bit about yourself so the audience can get to know you. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Seems like a cool community. I'm just checking out the chat here and seeing so many people representing so many different places around the world, which is really awesome. As for myself, as you mentioned, I am the Chief People Officer at Pluralsight. We are an ed tech company. I have been in this role for about three years. And I guess interesting things that I would share, Anita and I know each other from a past life. We've worked together before uh, and really enjoyed that experience and excited to be back here with Anita. Um, so hope, hopefully there will be some chemistry on this podcast. And I think relevant to the conversation, uh, the other thing that I would share with everybody is, um, you know, my background, my career experience is pretty varied. And I've only been in the HR space for maybe five or six years. And prior to that, yeah, I spent a lot of space, uh, a lot of time doing strategy and analytics and actually built out teams of data analysts and data scientists. And so hopefully I can add some value to this conversation, this data-centric conversation today. You know, I was thinking in that because I've actually referenced, well, I've referenced you a lot in this podcast and I've chatted about how, you know, I was so excited about our partnership and that you really came over to our team at a time where data and analytics was not a strong suit on our team and how grateful we were able to convert you to the dark side to stay and people on HR leadership. But um, just for all of you that have been watching this, Will was one of those teammates and just made me stronger at data analytics. And I'm super grateful for that. And just don't be afraid of bringing people into your team that know things that are different than you, right? That round out your weaknesses and areas that are important to the team. And Will helped me do that in a really great way when we worked together. And um, it was a great journey. So I'm grateful we can share some of that here with everybody. Well, thank you so much, Will, for being here. Really excited to see um, and, and hear all the insights. Uh, so let's get into our discussion for today. Our first set of questions is all about communicating difficult HR topics to leadership. I'd love to hear from both of you about a time when you had to share a difficult HR topic with the leadership team. How did you use data to help convince leadership of a needed change or to communicate your message? Anita, let's start with you. Yeah, it takes me back to a time actually where Will and I were working together on this and the organization that we were at years ago needed to make some changes, needed to reduce the amount of expenses that were going out. And oftentimes in organizations I'd been in before that, the fastest way to reduce expenses is in your largest expense line item, and those are humans. And Will and I really wanted to show perspective of, yes, humans are one way that you can save money but there's a lot of other big reoccurring expenses that you could look at before you go into having a team impact. So we found through sharing data, creative ways to trim costs and to avoid layoffs at that time. Um, you know, while there was a real business need to cut costs, we were able to find a solution that wouldn't impact the team members right away. And we leveraged data in the ability to do that. 
Another example was looking at our effectiveness of leaders. It's something that the three of us are really passionate about. Everybody says that leadership development is important. And then mapping and showing the data that shows that leaders are getting more effective is really hard to do. So there was an important piece around data and leadership effectiveness that we worked on. And then another one is one we've talked about a lot on the show before is engagement. You know, how do you decide which teams are going to be focused on what things that come out of the engagement survey, what matters most in that big swath of feedback that you get out of these surveys. You give out these giant surveys, you get back all this data, what matters most to really move the needle. That's another great uh, data use case for us. Will, anything anything else you would add to what Anita said? Are there any other stories or thoughts you've got on it? Yeah, I was just going to piggyback on some of the things that Anita was sharing. I think that Anytime we are asking for investment in our people, it really behooves us to use data to make our asks and our recommendations more compelling. You know, one of the things Anita was mentioning, employee engagement. One of the things that my team spends a lot of time doing is analyzing our engagement survey data. And we actually use that survey data to help inform how we invest in team members every year. And so, you know, real examples of this that that I can provide are in past years when we've looked at that data, you know, one of the things that we've seen is that employee recognition was an area where we weren't super strong, right? And employee recognition was actually holding down our overall engagement and employee satisfaction numbers. And so, we were able to leverage that data to go recommend certain programs that cost money um, and show how we thought that by investing in these team member facing programs, it was going to create real impact and real uplift in terms of employee engagement. And then also we collect engagement data and we correlate that to attrition data. So we can also show, hey, and by doing this and creating more engaged employees, here's how less likely team members are to a trip if, if they're more engaged. And so you know, we, we use engagement survey data all the time to help create compelling cases around where and how we should invest in a way that actually benefits the business. Well, what happens when you don't have the data that you need to back up your message? I think for a lot of folks, it's about not knowing where to start or you do have data and then you're not sure how to use it because you've never utilized it before. Like what, any advice there, Will? Yeah, um, I mean, you got to start from square one. Like the mistake I think that a lot of HR professionals make is that you try and boil the ocean and it can feel really overwhelming. In fact, I saw in the, the survey, the poll that we did at the start of this, I think one of the options there was not knowing where to start. And I saw like a lot of people select that as your biggest struggle is, hey, I don't know where to start. Yeah, there we go. Um, so uh, a quarter of you uh, are not knowing where to start. And a lot of you are not knowing where to find the data, which is like step two after knowing where to start. So I think that there is like a formula here. There are steps that that you can take to get started. And I think the first step is you got to like narrow the aperture, right? There are so many interesting questions that we, we might want to have answered and so many things that we could go look at, but you might not have the resources or the expertise to go get at all that data. And so my guidance would be step one, you know, get clear on what matters. What is the most important thing? What is the outcome? You know, am I solving for employee engagement or is attrition a problem? Whatever it may be. And narrow your focus to just those few metrics, okay? And and then the other thing, you know, once you've done that is you need to go get agreement from your executive stakeholders, your leaders across the company, that they also see those things as being important. You know, maybe you've had an experience in the past where you go do a bunch of work and you pull together a recommendation and data and you go take it uh, and it lands flat. And that happens because we don't, go get agreement and buy-in before we go do all the work. And so step two is I think you got to go get agreement and buy-in. Uh, and then then you're at the the step, the other question in the poll there, where it's time to go collect the data. Okay, And I think if you are small and you're just getting started, you're going to have to be scrappy and making friends across the organization is a good way to go. 
you know, Anita and I, when we were just getting started in building out data and analytics, we didn't have all the data or resources in-house. And so we had to go find cross-functional partners in IT, in finance, on our central data team to help us pull down those few metrics that we thought were most important. And we wouldn't have been able to do it with them. And so sometimes it takes a village and I wouldn't expect to be able to do it all yourself. And then you know, once you've got the data, I think other things that are important for you to consider is you, you need to go create the forum, the cadence, the place to share those insights with key decision makers and stakeholders across the business. You know, one of the things that I often hear is that um, HR folks sometimes don't feel like they have a seat at the table, right? And the seat at the table doesn't just always come, you know, on a pillow sort of or red carpet to us. You got to go create the seat at the table. So go create the cadence and the forum to go share that data and have those discussions and talk about those important uh, people topics. And so that that's kind of the journey, it, you know, and once you've done that a couple times and replicated it and kind of you've got that pattern figured out, then you can expand and then you can start working on automating things and building dashboards. But it takes a long time to get there. And I think you got to start small and build your way up. So that, that was a very long answer, Vanessa, but hopefully a useful framework. Well, and I, I really love that one of the qu questions that came through was how often do you survey? And I think you made the comment there of like quarterly is a great way to start. Do you have any other advice for them on that one? Well, my advice is you need to do what suits your business. Basically, there there is no one true right answer. And we've experimented just in my time in the people space. We've done quarterly surveys. We've done monthly surveys. We've done tiny pulse surveys, you know, little pulse surveys that go out randomly like every day to a subsegment of the employee base. And there are pros and cons to each of those. You need to figure out what you're optimizing for and what works for the business. You know, for us, we do quarterly. And one of the reasons why we do quarterly is because when we did more frequent surveys, we would get feedback from leaders that it was too much of a burden. And we would actually look at the the survey engagement data, and we saw that you know the actual percentage of team members engaging with the survey was, was going down, and so we backed it off to a quarterly cadence and made it something more manageable that everyone could commit to. It's like, hey, if we're going to pull this back and do a quarterly, our expectation then is that everyone commits to participating. And oh, by the way, here's the value in participating. Here's what we're going to do with the data and how we're going to make your life better with it. So I think you need to talk to your stakeholders, figure out what works. Well, I'm curious about this, but it's because we're looking at our survey strategy right now inside Bamboo. Our participation has been historically low. And I'm curious in that quarterly cadence that you do well, do you also factor in if you do like the award surveys, like Great Place to Work or those types of things, do you plug and play those as one of the quarters or do you add that on top of? Uh, we have added those on top. And the reason why is we use the survey platform that we use doesn't allow us to easily add in tons of questions. And we don't want to lose the sort of apples to apples comparison that we gather on a regular basis. Um, and so we don't, you know, kill a quarterly survey and instead sub it with great places to work or some external survey. That's a great point, because in the poll, a lot of people are really struggling with how to tell a story. And to me, one of the most compelling things to tell story is that quarter over quarter, you know, pulse that you get to be able to put a story together. And if you're changing, this is something, you know, you really taught me, well, if you're changing all those inputs all the time and you're playing with the questions or you're using different surveys, then you don't have a story to tell. And it makes the data much more difficult to accumulate and get insights out of. Yeah. And on the story front, you know, here, here's an interesting template for you to play with that's so simple that solves two things. It tells a story, but also helps drive engagement in your surveys because it speaks to employees and shows them why there's value in them participating. When you do an engagement survey, you know, take all the results of that survey, you do your best to analyze it and try to find three things that aren't going well and three things that are, you know, 
really strong and write a blog post, right? And in that blog post, highlight the three things that are going well and maybe share a little bit about why they're going well. And if you can tie them to some initiative or thing that you've done that, that feeds them, that's great. And then outline the three things that aren't going well. And for each one of those bullets, share something that you're planning to do to help make it better, right? That creates wonderful content. We do that internally. Team members really appreciate it. And it helps them see, oh, you know what? One of those three bullets on things that's not going well, I actually feel that way. And I kind of shared some of that feedback. And look, they're going to do something about it. So it wasn't a waste of my time to participate in this engagement survey. That is such great practice. I actually forgot about that practice. I'm going to I'm gonna borrow that again and bring it back to Bamboo. We do it in the all hands, but you have to think about communicating the story is half the battle. So you could do it in the all hands, but if you have people that don't go or they don't watch the recording, you're missing it. The blog post is another forum where they can access that information. So figuring out your channels and comm strategy is really important with the data story. Well, there was a question that just came through as you were talking, Will, of like, how do we increase engagement in surveys? Well, I, I think this is a big part of it is people, I mean, I think we can all relate to this. Like, if I don't think there's any benefit to me in like allocating some of my precious time to something, I'm probably not going to be super likely to do it. And so if you haven't been intentional about somehow communicating to your employees the value or benefit that they get out of participating in the engagement survey, you're probably not going to get, you know, good participation. So you need to tell that story, whether that's through um, blog posts, whether that's through occasional email updates, whether that's through if you have like a company all hands or town hall meeting where you share regular updates, maybe spotlighting some of your learnings there. There are lots of different ways to do it, but you have to close the loop. You can't just ask for things from employees, like give me feedback, give me feedback and never close the loop. Like here's the action and then communicate back what you did about it. it. You have to view it as a loop that always has to be closed. And if you don't close the loop, it dies. Like pe people will not engage consistently over time. I love that. Well, there was, there was another comment that somebody had made about my boss will only view or give time for things that are free. Any ideas on free engagement surveys? Uh, well, there are lots of free survey platforms and tools out there you could use. Yeah, occasionally, like for ad hoc stuff in the past, we've used Google Forms. Now, some of those free things don't have you know, the fancy analytics tools or whatever it may be. But again, like going back to the first thing I shared, like start basic. You don't, you don't need that to, to start out. Um, you know, it can be much more simple. You know, align on five or six questions that you think would really move the needle and just ask those. This is an important thing that you and I spend a lot of time on. How you ask the question is a big piece to the data that you get. Is there any tips that you could give on great ways to write questions that get the data out in a way that's most useful? Yeah, there are so many different type, types of questions. Like this is going to vary from, from question to question, but I would say this. If you're just sitting down and writing questions by yourself, I can, and you're not like a trained statistician, I can bet you that you're going to inadvertently write questions in a way that might be biased or push people to a certain response. And so advice that I would give is, well, first of all, you know, if you're wondering what questions to ask and how to ask them, a simple Google search will be your friend because in the HR space, there are quite a few engagement questions that are sort of standard and well-known ways of measuring employee engagement. And you can just borrow from those. And people have spent a lot of time and effort to refine those questions in the way that they're asked um, so that you don't need to worry about the bias inherent in it. And then I think the other thing that you would do, like what we used to do um, in the early days when we were first building stuff out is draft your questions and then go, go, vet them with five or six people and ask them to help try and find any bias in the way that your questions are written and gather some feedback from people. And you might be surprised at what you you find or what you hear back. Yeah, that's so interesting. And oh my goodness, well, it just took me back in a time capsule. Emily asked, how do you keep the information anonymous? The hours we spent on anonymity, 
and what vehicles are used for anonymous and what are tied to somebody's name. You know, I think you need vehicles for both. What do you, what do you think? Yeah. So my guidance on this would be, again, there's a whole spectrum here and there's no right or wrong answer. Meaning you could go find probably a paid for survey tool. You can hire a third party who will administer engagement surveys for you that you never even have access to. And they'll just send you the results like that's at the far end of the spectrum. And then on the other end of the spectrum, it's like you and your whole team doing Google Forms and everyone on your team has access to everything. And you can see everyone's email address and name, right? Um, and you're going to be somewhere in between those two poles, probably on the spectrum. And there are pros and cons to each, okay? The, the pro of having uh, high anonymity is that you might encourage more candid feedback and greater participation rates. But the downside is there's much less you can do with that data. Um, you can't slice it and dice it. If you see an issue, you can't necessarily drill into it and pinpoint where it's going on so you can go fix it. And with less anonymity, you know, flip side of the coin, you can really go deep. You can pinpoint problems. You can go solve those issues. So you're going to be somewhere on the spectrum. The key is this. The key is that you be transparent with team members and help them know exactly where you and your company are on that spectrum and what it means. So in our case, as an example, we would use a survey tool and there we, we had a little people analytics team, you know, three or four people, they all had access to the data. No one else in the company, the executive team, the people team, no one else had access, but someone had to go do the work to analyze it and all. And so there was a small handful of people that had access to the data. When we send out the survey prompts, we would clearly state in the body of the email, here is exactly who has access to this data and why. And we commit to never share the data outside that group. But just so you know, yeah, this is, this is who has access to the data. So I think you just have to be transparent so that people know. It's so important. I mean, we struggle with this a lot inside Bamboo because we use our own tool for our surveys. So people are always asking, like, who really has access? Because you're building the tool that we get to be surveyed in. And I think that's a core challenge we have to overall participation, to be honest. I mean, it's just it's it's a really important part to be transparent who has it, why they have it and what they're doing with it. And then we'll also speak with like the slice and dice of the data. The more sophisticated you get in your people practices, you're going to want different cuts of data. So, for instance, just as ideas around the story, like we just looked at our, we just shipped our EMPS in December. So we were going through it with the executive team yesterday. We found that team members that were remote actually had a higher engagement score than people that were in the office in Utah. That's interesting. So you might want to slice it by geo. You might want to slice it by level. What are some other ways, Will, that you look at the data that that information you would want to be captured so you, they can be thoughtful about how they organize the survey? Yeah, there's so many different ways to do this. So you mentioned seniority, you mentioned um, work status, you know, remote versus in office versus hybrid. We also look at uh, tenure is an important thing. Like, you know, what does the employee life cycle look like? What does good engagement look like for someone who's new versus someone just before they leave? Because I promise you it's going to be different. Like it's always higher engagement when people start and then it gets lower over time and then they churn. And understanding that can be really, really useful. Um, we also cut by all sorts of different, you know, demographic indicators, whether it be gender, race, et cetera, and so forth, to ensure that, you know, we're not inadvertently creating a work environment that isn't leaving everybody feeling comfortable, like they can be themselves um, when they show up to work day in, day out. We look at organizations, right? You know, how do our software engineers feel versus, you know, our finance team? And there are big differences from organization to organization. So th those are some of the things that we look at, but there's like an infinite you know, variety of ways that you can cut data. And you know, it goes back to what is the problem that you're trying to solve? You know, again, like don't, the, those are all things to evaluate and dig into at the right time in the right place. And you'll get there eventually, but you know, start off with like, what is the question we're trying to answer and let that be your guide. This is such a uh, this is such a great conversation. I'm learning so much right now. 
Um, and I know earlier in the chat, somebody had asked, what are your thoughts on incentivizing those surveys? Like, are there do's and don'ts with that? I mean, I can't think of any hard and fast rules around don'ts. Here, here's what I would say, though. One of the things that we've discovered is that you can't expect to get phenomenal engagement if all you're doing is just firing out a survey once, like you send a singular email invite and you let it sit out there for a week and then you close it. Promise you won't have good engagement if you do that. So your strategy for engaging employees and participating in surveys has to be multi-touch, multimodal. okay? So what that means is different people pay different levels of attention to different communication channels and modes. Some people, if you send it in Slack, they'll pick up on it and they'll do it. They'll hit the link right through Slack. Some people are diligent about email. Some people, if you talk about it in your all hands or town hall meeting, that resonates with them. So ideally, you should hit every mode, every channel of communication so that you're hitting everyone. And then you have to you have to remind people multiple times. And so what we do is we send out the initial email and then we have pre-scheduled to send out a reminder email a couple of days later. And then once a bunch of people have taken the survey, we parse them out and we send nudges to only those who have not taken the survey so that we don't annoy everybody else. And then we'll nudge them, nudge them, nudge them a few more times. Hey, only 24 hours left to take the survey. As a reminder, we really value your feedback. Hey, check out this blog post about the last survey we did and what we did with the feedback. And so you have to have like a whole communication strategy around your survey to encourage people to participate. Yeah, I agree with that. I think the biggest incentivization, is that a word? The biggest way to incentivize is action on the feedback. And so we can do a better job on this, but we did a conjoint analysis on benefits. And we took that information to decide what benefits we were going to add to or change or evolve as we went through open enrollment. But we haven't done a great job tying it back to that's what we got out of the survey. So creating that link is going to be what is going to get people to give you the feedback. Yeah, 100%. I mean, listen, if you if you were doing a survey to like directly inform your benefits offering and you told all your employees, hey, we're going to use your feedback to like change your benefits, I, pro I promise you people, people would engage at a really high level because people really care about their benefits. They do. That is true. Well, jumping into our, our second section of this, finding and using the right data, what advice would you give HR folks that don't have buy-in from leaders on HR goals? Will? Well, you know, it kind of goes back to what I was saying before about creating the right forum. You got to go talk to people and you got to help them understand why it matters. And that's why this conversation around data is so important. I think actually in HR, that's one of our biggest battles is using data to show business impact and tell stories, right? And what I mean by this is my, my experience is that HR is sort of chronically under-invested in, like our people are chronically under-invested in. And one of the reasons why is because I believe that it's just a lot easier to run the math and show, hey, if I invest a dollar in the sales and marketing machine, I get a dollar and 10 cents out. Okay, well, I'm going to do that every day. And if I invest a dollar in my people, what do I get out? Um, and because we haven't been good historically at showing like the ROI with data, we haven't been as successful about getting leader buy-in and investment in our people. And so the way that that changes is by, you know, creating the forum to go have the conversation and then go pick the most meaningful issues. Again, don't boil the ocean. Go pick the most meaningful issues and go find some compelling data that impacts the bottom line of the business. Like if I can go prove out with data that by investing in employees to the tune of whatever it may be, X number of dollars is going to cut churn down, which is or attrition, which is going to save us, you know, much more than that, the decision all of a sudden becomes easy. It becomes a no-brainer, right? Um, or if I if I can prove with the data that by investing in team members, it's going to improve engagement, and I can highlight, oh look, our highest output sales teams or the best performing engineering teams that are shipping the most have this level of engagement or above. Again, then all of a sudden, magically, there's support and buy-in for our programs, and so 
I think using data as a tool with the right people can help you achieve those outcomes. One, I think a lot of people in HR have a hard time admitting that they need help finding data or figure out what that data is. Like, so who do you recommend our listeners go to in the business for data to, to give that help? Anita? Well, I think it's a great, great, you know, data wasn't my strong set as we talked about at the beginning. So Will and I really partnered together to go find, first off, to get to the problem that we we're solving. What did we want to measure? What was important? And we started with like really basic things, right? So um, we went to go figure out, okay, what is everybody's base salary? What's the average base salary? How do you do that? You go find your team in FP&A. If you don't have a compensation team, like you go and you go to the place that has the information that can help you solve the problem and build partnerships. I mean, at that point, Will was having weekly meetings with the data team. We were bringing it back. We were couching it against the problem that we wanted to solve. We started with a really basic dashboard that we started recording on monthly. I mean, that's basically we're rebuilding this again at Bamboo right now, where it's just like, here's our basic things. How many hires did we bring on? How many did we attrit? Boy, did we spend cycles on regrettable and non-regrettable turnover. And how do you, I saw this in the chat, what's the philosophy or methodology around how you calculate these things and getting consistent on that? And just starting with base things, you kind of know how your business is running. And so you know whether you get more dollars in different areas, whether that's going to make a big difference to the ROI that you want back. Well, there was, there was a question as you were, you were talking there, Anita, is what if the communication is one way from leadership? No opportunity to ask questions in team meetings, even when they previously did, and no engagement surveys since a year ago. Like, what, what is your advice there? then at that point, it's really hard to be accountable. And so then it's just, it's, you can't be accountable if there's no appetite for it. And you all know that I feel actions speak louder than words. And so that's, that's the way it is. So either you get to do what they're doing there, or maybe you go find a place where they feel differently about it. But I think you have to be honest with what's really happening. And you all know that I believe that you can't push a boulder uphill. Like either people want to be naturally pulled into it, or they're going to fight it. And if you feel like you're fighting it, I would encourage you to find a different place. Um, and thanks, Kim Ayala, for the, the shout out of love the topic. Data can be the secret sauce to move the needle on problem solving and proactive planning. Love that. Well, jumping into our, our third section here is becoming a better data storyteller. I really want to like, dive in here is like, what advice do you have for our listeners about how to become a better data storyteller? Anita? Well, so the story is always best when it has an uh, end goal, right? When you're like, I want to tell you a story about what's happening around engagement. We had a reporter reach out to us and their premise was that the conversation between leaders and team members is getting more disparate. They feel like in this year of 2024, everybody's focused on performance and profitability in the broader macro market. And the data that he was seeing was saying that leaders are not being straight and honest with team members. And he wanted the bamboo perspective on that. So we went into our own data and we said, that's actually probably accurate, right? That um, there is a disparity between what leaders are saying and what team members are saying. And how do we get them to have a more robust, clean conversation? And so we were able to go through all of our different questions that we asked, the responses, because inside bamboo, you can see the leader answers and you can see the team member answers. And, you know, Vanessa, you and I see this a lot when we have challenges in employee relations. Those two don't overlap. The leader's perspective is different than the team member's perspective. And how do you get them to talk to one another? So if you wanted to implement a program that had leadership buy-in, you want to share that data of like, hey, maybe we want to institute radical candor or crucial conversations because our data would show that the way our team members see performance is different from the leader's. And that's leading to a higher incidence of employer relations, which is taking up a ton of our time, right? Vanessa's spending a lot of time in employee relations right now. So maybe we would want to put a leadership development program out that would help that and help raise the waterline for all of the bamboo again. So that would yeah. be one example we could give on storytelling. Yeah, 100% bridging that gap. Uh, Will, what other thoughts do you have on this? I would say for those of you out there who want to get better at this, my first piece of advice is you need to practice. So like with with any skill or anything that we're working on, 
it takes practice. And so you should really push yourself whenever you're communicating an idea, whenever you're making a recommendation or going to make an ask for something, uh, push yourself to include data as part of that. Like you, you shouldn't have a recommendation or an ask that isn't somehow supported by data. Um, so that's the first is practice. And then may, maybe I have a few tactical tips that have helped me over the years and have helped folks on my teams. So typically when we're going and we're communicating data, a really common channel for communicating that uh, is PowerPoint or slides like Google slides, right? And so here are some best practices that I think you should all think about when you're communicating with data using DEX. The first, and Anita touched on this a little bit, is you need to make sure that you have, you are telling a logical story. So your deck flow needs to be like, what is the situation or the problem that we're trying to solve? What is the recommended action? And what is the intended impact or expected outcome? Like it needs to follow a logical flow. And then as you think about the title of each slide, my guidance that I always used to provide my teams is the titles of the slide should be simple, but comprehensive or detailed enough that I could just read through the titles of each one of the slides in your deck in order. And it would, I would be able to understand from that basically what the situation is and what you're recommending without seeing any content on the slides, right? The other tips are uh, nothing will erode confidence in your work or undermine your message faster than people seeing errors in your data. And so my team, we used to call it zero defect analysis. And so once you've built your presentation, your deck, you should go have one, at least maybe two people review it and audit it to make sure all the numbers tie. There's no typos. There's no mistakes in it because that undermines confidence in everything that, that you're trying to communicate. And then a third tip here is data visualization is an art. Okay. And a lot of people get it wrong, meaning like they put really complex um, charts and graphs and people don't understand it. And, and if you really want to use the data to land a point, it's got to be simple. And like one litmus test of this is, you know, again, if someone has no context on the problem that we're trying to solve, they haven't read through the entire deck and I just pop up a singular chart or slide in front of them, they can look at that and tell me the punchline of what that chart or table or piece of data is trying to communicate cold without any context or prompting or, or anything. That would be a good litmus test that you're communicating in a way that's simple and clear enough with the data that people can get it. They're not going to get lost in it. So th those are a few tips that I found helpful over the years that maybe people can use to get a little bit better as you're building out presentations and stories. The other thing, well, we did, I'm curious how much you do that now. We're doing it a lot more at Bamboo is switching out a slide and into the narrative. And I think if you don't have great slide building skills or data visualization skills, going into a written narrative could be a great other way to get it done. What do you think about that? Yeah, I agree with that. I think written narratives are probably the most powerful way actually to clarify thinking. It just doesn't get done often because it actually requires a lot of work and people don't like to do the work. But if you are a good writer, and again, like anything, if you practice, you can write a compelling narrative that weaves in data points or even charts or tables where appropriate that tells a really engaging story and makes really clear the intended outcome or action that that you're recommending they take. Great, great advice. Yes. All right. Well, before we go to our Q&A section, I wanted to give a shout out to a Bamboo HR piece we can share in the chat. It shares some great storytelling tips and example reports you can use. It's how it's our how to report HR impact to business leaders deck with some Google slide templates. So just a really great resource um, to be able to use. So moving on to our Q&A section, we've got some Q&A questions that were sent to our Q&A section. So if you're in here, go there, start rating the ones that you want to hear about the most because we might not be able to get to everyone, but we would definitely want to get to the hot topics that you want us to cover. So uh, starting off is how, how do you suggest we start the process of figuring out what problem we are trying to solve? Will, let's start with you. 
well, there are a few different ways to do this. I mean, I, I think first is uh, listening to your customers and your customers are your teammates, your employees. And so if, if you, I mean, here's an easy way to start, like do the engagement survey, ask, go, f- if, you, if you don't know where to start with an engagement survey, go Google, hey, what, what is a good basic engagement survey that sort of covers some of the key drivers of employee engagement? Go, go do that survey and then go look at it and identify the weakest areas. And that's a problem that you probably should be solving. The, the, the other would be like, uh, what, what are you hearing if you're in the office? you know, around the water cooler, what, like, what, you know, what, what are people not happy about that? There's probably a problem wrapped in around that that needs to be solved. Those are some starting points that come to mind for me. I do think this is an important skill though, Will. And I noticed that most HR professionals have an opportunity to grow their capability in identifying a problem. And so you have to like kind of have enough sense of like, this is what I want to go dig into or this is what I'm seeing and then use the data to either validate or discredit the problem statement. So let it take you further or or let it move you away, but never lose sight of the problem that you're solving. I think that's why to Will's earlier point, we got started. You can't boil the ocean. You've got to get clear on like, what do I want to solve? What's the most impactful thing that I can solve? And that's a great question for you to have with your CEO or founder or whoever you're reporting to. If we did one thing this year, if we solved one thing for the organization this year, what would it be? And then how are you going to manage and measure that through a data story? Yeah. One, one other thing that I would say is it just because something is a frequent piece of feedback or um, pops up a lot doesn't necessarily mean that it's the most important business problem to solve. And you got to figure out what the most important business problems to solve are. Because if you bring to your senior leadership a bunch of problems that maybe a lot of people don't like, but they don't matter, then it undermines your credibility and you're not able to create as much impact. As an example, um, you know, back in the day when Anita and I used to work together, we, we used to provide a lot of snacks uh, to employees and there would be frequent grumbling about the types of snacks, the brands of snacks, or if a particular snack went away. Now, these are things that might generate a lot of feedback and maybe a lot of employees have passion around, but guess what? Do they impact the business's bottom line and do they really matter? No. Now, that that's like a trite, simple example, but like this applies to lots of things, right? Like you, you have to put your business filter around it and understand, well, what really moves the needle for the business? And then, you know, if you can identify a few things that are going to create big business impact, that's your clue that you should be pushing on it. It's such a great example. I mean, I wish we could go back to the day where snacks were my biggest issue on my engagement survey. You know, right? That was a joyous time. But it is really important. I saw Allison said it. It's got to link to your achieving your company's mission, vision, or strategy. You've got to tie it back up into why it matters. And that should be your automatic prioritization calibration. Well, I've got a a pretty good question here with surveys. Is it okay to ask about particular people like the management team in the surveys? (laughs) What are your thoughts, Anita? (laughs) You know, I think it's directly correlated to the maturity of the leaders that you have on the team. One of the things that I loved most about what Will and I worked on together was something called an effective leadership score. And so I would get a score back that was accumulation of the team that would say how effective I was in these areas. And that's really useful because when you're oftentimes, you know, the longer that you're in charge, um, Will was always great. He is an incredible truth teller. Um, And if you don't have incredible truth tellers, you've got to have another way to find out what are the areas that you can improve on, because there's always things that we can do better on. So I think having data to improve performance is valuable if it's used and leveraged in a constructive way. Yeah, it's got to be it's got to be done constructively and thoughtfully. So as an example, if you're sending out a company-wide survey, yeah, I'm not going to ask about a particular leader by name in that survey because I'm going to get a lot of bad data that maybe actually gives me poor signal that t- you know, gives me the wrong idea. A lot of people that would be taking that survey wouldn't be informed. They don't report to that person. They don't work with them. Like their impression of them is based on a couple interactions. That's not useful. Um, but you know, if I was asking, 
you know, a particular leader all of their direct reports to provide feedback on particular areas, maybe that could be useful, right? And so I think the answer is it depends and it's got to be done in a thoughtful and productive way. You got to be careful with it. Mm -hmm. Well, Will, there's, there's one question that was directed to you is how long is the survey you run quarterly? Like number of quarters, time to complete, like how much time do you give there? So not sure exactly what's being asked. I'll, let me just, I'll share some detail about what we do. So we run an engagement survey each quarter. Usually the survey is open for a whole week. So people have some time to take it. Uh, our survey, we try to keep it as brief as possible. At least the minimum inputs, you, you know, we don't mandate that people provide free text feedback for every question. So if you want to be quick about going through and taking it, you can. But we provide the opportunity for people to elaborate and, and provide more feedback if they want to on every question. Um, and the survey, it always changes a little bit. There's you know, maybe 10 to 15 questions that are a constant that are always in there so that we can have that consistent apples to apples you know, um, benchmark over time. And then we have other questions that come and go based on the needs of the business. So yeah, maybe we're in the range of 20-ish questions. Um, I can finish an engagement survey in five to 10 minutes. Most team members can. Um, but again, if people want to provide much richer feedback, the opportunity to do so is there. Well, there's a, there's a question that's come through here. I'm going to share it to the screen. Maybe that'll be a little bit more helpful. Is if I know who hasn't done the survey, then my employee questions how anonymous it actually is. Thoughts on how to combat that? Well, how to combat it is to do exactly what I said at the beginning, um, which is I think you need to be transparent with employees about who has access to the data. So when you send out your survey, you should make clear that, hey, myself or you know, these people on my team have access to the data. And here's what we do with the data and here's our commitment with the data. But just so you know, right. I'll go ahead, Anita. Oh, well, and when we send out reminders, we don't customize it to who hasn't done it. I don't know if you do that, Will, but I just send a message. We do. Oh, you do customize it to who hasn't we done it. We do. Okay. We do. And again, this is like, a, this is a baby steps. It's, it's, a, it's a question of evolution, right? Do you need to do that? No. Um, you could just send out a blanket, you know, nudge to all employees. But what we found is we're sending out so many nudges. Like, I don't want to bug all the employees who took it with five emails when they took it the first day we sent it. And so we have a platform that allows us to very easily nudge people who just haven't taken it. And so that's what we do. Um, and you could also do that manually if you had an analyst or someone on your team or you had time to do it yourself, but it's not necessary. Well, let's end on this last question here uh, in the Q&A is, do you find that qualitative or quantitative data is more impactful when sharing data with leadership, or is it situational? Well, it has to be both, I think. So if if I just drop a chart on you with very little context and without a compelling narrative, you might get some value for that, or you might persuade some people with that, um, but not as many as you could if you coupled it with a really compelling narrative and maybe some some demonstrative examples, like as lived examples for the business that tell the same story as the data tells and vice versa. I can come to you and I can say, you know, X, Y, or Z happened and provide some anecdotes of what's going on in the business. But if I don't provide data, it wouldn't be as powerful. Maybe people would think, oh, well, that's a one-off, you know, that's not representative of how everyone feels. That's not a widespread issue. Um, but if you're able to really effectively marry the two, I think you can create a lot more impact. And so I think wherever possible, you should try to represent both um, whenever you can. Not every situation lends itself to being able to do that perfectly, but that should be your goal. Well, I'm curious how much time when you look at all this data, where does your gut come in? I mean, you're an experienced leader. You have a thought process. Is there ever a time where your gut overrides or doesn't feel like it's aligning with the data that you see? Yeah, that happens pretty frequently, actually. Um, you, you have to put your common sense lens on top of all the data that you, that, that you see. There have been many times where like, we see something in the data. Oh, here's a really good example, actually, an as-lived example. 
um, you know, one of the things that we watch really closely is the average salary of our employees to make sure that we're hiring in a thoughtful way and that we're not overpaying. And recently we were analyzing that data for one of our teams in a different region. And we saw that the average salary had skyrocketed, right? My team brought this to me and they're like, oh no, we have a problem here. You know, we, we've got a process problem, you know, hiring managers are going way above range. And I said, yeah, that would be really weird for that. That doesn't align for me. Uh, you know, it'd be really strange. Like the data doesn't add up. And then I remembered, oh, you know what? We had actually made a decision to hire this whole team intact from a competitor. And we brought them all in at this particular comp level. And I bet that's what's doing it. Like, I bet that one decision is skewing all the data. And I said, go check this out. And they did. They went like, sure enough, it, that singular thing was skewing all the data. And so you need to be really careful. Like if, if you look at something and it doesn't sit right and it doesn't make sense, that's your cue that you ought to dig deeper and explore and try and figure out you know, what's going on there. This is a big credibility point, too, because Will's doing this before he's elevating the problem outside of his purview. Right. He's doing the sniff test to say, does this really sniff right? Because then if you take it back in the earlier example and somebody on your senior leadership team sniffs it out, that's a, another way we lose credibility in the work that we're doing. So apply the sniff test. That's the practice. That's the audit. All of those things that are so important to getting this to be excellent. Well, thank you so much, Will, for joining us for this podcast. This has been a super fun conversation with you and Anita Anita, do you want to close us out with the three takeaways for the this episode? Yes. Like Will said, practice, practice, practice to present data around HR initiatives. Go to your peers, go to the people that will be the hardest on you and practice telling your data story. Create a forum to share HR topics with leadership. That way you can have that calibration on what's most important to the business and build partnerships with your other orgs to get the data or fact-checking or auditing that you need to help you better read and understand the data that you're sharing out there. Again, thank you for joining us. Will, thank you. Vanessa, thank you. Always a pleasure to be with you. And just, Will, we're so grateful for all of your knowledge and examples. So useful to our community here. We invite you to visit us at hrmplug.com. Please subscribe to our series and you can listen to any of our episodes and please subscribe and leave us a review. Have a super day. Thanks for all the great work that you're doing out there. Take care, everybody. Thanks for joining us for HR Unplugged. This series is brought to you by Bambi HR. Visit us at bambuhr.com slash HR unplugged for video versions of the podcast, additional resources, and to learn more about how Bambi HR sets people free to do great work. 